Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please do get in touch at hello at hopeharrogate.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Our new series, Building a Community of Hope. We are going to spend the next few months going through the book of Nehemiah, uh, looking at that topic, Building a Community of Hope of hope. Now, Nehemiah is a fantastic story. If you've not read it, uh, it's 13 chapters long. You can read it in not too long at all, probably the length of one cup of tea. Uh, And so get yourself comfortable this afternoon. It's well worth reading and understanding what's going on. I'm going to allude to a few bits today, um, but really just bring an introduction from the first few verses. This book is going to teach us as we go through the story who God is, It's going to teach us what God is like. And as we follow the journey of Nehemiah and the people of God, as they rebuild Jerusalem with hope in their hearts, it is going to teach us how to build a community of hope here and now in the places we are and in the spheres of life we go into. Anyone excited about that? Get some reactions. Thumbs up. Hit that chat box. Um, I am uh, excited not just because we're going to learn some stuff, but I do truly believe that this is a prophetic series for us. God is speaking to us in this. We're going into a term full of uncertainty uh, and we are going to learn together prophetically through this book what it is to be a church family that carries hope into every sphere of life, especially in this extended period of time where life is so different. Many of you will have sat in seminars and through talks and will have read books about how to carry hope in your normal everyday life. And yet some of those normal everyday things don't happen in in your normal everyday anymore. And as we go through this story together, I do believe God is going to move in us and is going to shape us. And if, as I said last week, we need to treat the age of coronavirus as an ice age, rather than a blizzard that we wait out, then friends, we've got to build in this time because we have to build something that doesn't just help us to survive, but helps us to thrive in these days. Because friends, the kingdom of God is not just going to survive the age of coronavirus. The kingdom of God is thriving in the age of coronavirus. And so we want to play our part. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Let's read together. Get your Bible out. It's going to come on the screen using the fancy magic that I have at my disposal. Uh, We're going to read together the beginning verses of Nehemiah chapter one. First four verses. Here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, That's the 20th year of King Artaxerxes of Persia, which you find out in chapter two. Uh, While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. 
when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It's the story. I'm going to start by setting it in context for us so we understand what's happening around. And you can place this in and amongst all of the other stories that you've heard of from the Old Testament before. So I've got a fancy timeline for this. Actually, let's find that and pop that up over here. Woo! So we are right now in 445 BC. Nehemiah is writing in 445 BC. That's Jesus at year zero, Nehemiah, four and a half centuries beforehand. And Ezra, which you can read about in the book of Ezra, he left uh, the exile and he returned back to Jerusalem 13 years before Nehemiah in 458 BC. He went after many others had already returned in the first return from the exile with people under Zerubbabel, and that happened in 538 BC. Uh, you can read books like Zechariah and Haggai. They were prophets that prophesied in that time as the first um, people returned from the exile. We did a series, which is one of my favorite series at Hope Church, in the book of Zechariah. I think it was 2018. So you can go and find that on the website if you want to have a listen. Uh, they are prophesying in the days of that first return about what God is going to do. Uh, you can read Malachi if you want to hear what the prophets were saying in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's interesting, isn't it, how all these books fit together? They're all just there in a contents page, but often we have no idea. Um, the reason they were in exile is because in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians rode in and conquered Jerusalem and took all of the influential, wealthy, strong people out of the nation back to Babylon with him. If you want to know about that, you can read the book of Daniel. Uh, and he talks about that experience because he was part of those people who were taken to Babylon and he arose into the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and you can read that story in Daniel. Here's the deal. Oh, if you want to place this in the longer backstory, you go back another sort of 500 years or so. You've got King David and King Solomon. And those were really the glory days of Israel. The temple was glorious. The nations were coming. They were very prosperous. Um, but God told them, the Israelites, as time went on and as they continued to rebel and abandon God, God kept saying to them, if you leave me, if you forget me, judgment will come. And that's what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came. His coming and conquering of Jerusalem was the end of a long, steady decline from those glory days. Uh, it was um, prophesied by the prophets again and again. If you keep doing this, if your hearts go hard, if you abandon God, judgment will come and you will be scattered to the nations. And so that's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar takes them away into the nations. The people scarper in all directions. You've got 500 years or so of decline that goes on there amongst the people of God. There were one or two bright moments. Uh, King Josiah, King Hezekiah, they oversee revivals. You can read about those in the book of Two Kings. Uh, and you can read about David and Solomon and all that time in history in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. 
So that's kind of the context within the New Testament story of how this works. Back before David was the time of the Judges and Joshua and before that the Exodus and before that Genesis all the way back through Joseph and uh, his family through back to Abraham and Noah, blah, 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 all the way back to Genesis 1 and God who's always existed. That's the Old Testament timeline that might help you just place yourself uh, as we're reading Nehemiah in the bigger picture. Nehemiah is talking about is, is talking about the period of time closest to Jesus coming out of all of the Old Testament. That's your that's your time frame. This is the last bit before Jesus is going to come four and a half centuries later on. And here's the main theme that runs through this story. God loves humanity. And because of his love for humanity, God chose a nation and he called a nation for himself so that he might bless them so that they could be a blessing to every nation, to the whole entire world. And he said, I've chosen you. I'm blessing you. If you rebel, if you worship other gods, if you forget me, you will lose this promised land which I've given you and you will lose me and you will be scattered to the nations. Yet even within these um, promises of the scattering judgment were promises of a gathering return. He said, although I will judge you, although this will happen, I will not forget you. Even though you forget me, I won't forget you. I will come to you and I will gather you up from the nations. And so Jeremiah and Isaiah, they, they prophesy about this. They were prophesying at the beginning of the exile, if you remember the timeline, when people went. And they said they prophesied about the time when this would happen. Uh, and that's what we're reading about is this regathering. God has promised them that I will come to you. I will gather you from the four corners of the earth back to Jerusalem and it will be glorious. It will be glorious. And the nations will look on in awe. And the nations will come to you. That was the promise. And so these people who are returning from exile are coming back to Jerusalem with hope of that promise in their hearts. They are expecting God to do something that is truly magnificent, even greater than what their ancestors had known in the time of David and the time of Solomon. This is why they're leaving their lives in Babylon, which were, to be honest, for many of them, quite comfortable and going back to Jerusalem, to the devastated, ruined city that it was. And they start by rebuilding the temple, which was the centerpiece of God's city. And their hearts are full of hope. They went back. Ninety three years later, Nehemiah asks how they're getting on when his brother, who's gone back, comes to visit him in Susa which is the winter retreat of the king of Persia. It's nice to have a winter home, isn't it? You know, I like having a winter home I can go to for the for the cold months. That's what the king of Persia had. And that's where Nehemiah is because he's the cupbearer to the king. He lives in the royal palace, but he's not concerned about royalty. No, he's concerned about the people of God. And he asks, he's, he cares about the well-being of the people of God and the city of God. And he finds out, the temple has been rebuilt, that they were given permission when they went back to do that. But then as you as you read Ezra, you find they started to rebuild the walls. 
which they didn't have permission for. And the people around them got a bit grumpy and they wrote to Xerxes, the previous king, and he stopped it. And there was some sort of uh, stopping by force. Uh, and so the city is still in absolute ruins from Nebuchadnezzar destroying it. And then Xerxes coming and stopping them, rebuilding the wall uh, as well. And so his brother Hanani, he says to, Jer uh, says to Nehemiah, the city is still in ruins. It's still devastated. The people are vulnerable. And really what he's saying is, Nehemiah, it is nothing like what God has promised. They've lived in exile. They've held in their hearts this promise of God doing something glorious. And he's asking after them. And he finds that the place is still in ruins, is burned. It's wrecked. The nations don't look on in awe. They look on in pity. And he is in that moment cut to the heart. He is heart broken and he weeps. Nehemiah weeps. And in his desperation, he goes to God. And it says he, for some days he fasted and prayed. And when he says for some days, we find out in the next chapter, he really means three to four months of fasting and prayer because of the devastation of the people of God and of the city of God. That's the context that we have just read. And we're going to go through the book as we tend to do chapter by chapter. We're going to look at some key bits as we go along. But that is the setting at which we begin. Nehemiah is a man of influence. Jerusalem is ruined. And as we read a story like this, we inevitably ask ourselves, uh, who should we identify with? I don't know if you're like me, you watch a film, you will strongly identify with some character in the film. And when I can't identify with someone in it, it, uh, it disorientates me and I'm not really sure what on earth I'm watching. When you read a book, you find yourself in it. I remember watching season two of 24 in three days over a weekend and I got in my car on the Sunday night and I thought I was Jack Bauer and I was throwing my car into every corner. I was being chased. I was sure of it. I thought I had a gun in my pocket. I, I so centered, identified so fully with Jack Bauer in that moment. And that's what we do when we read stories. We we enter in and we're reading, when we're reading Bible stories, we, we, we have to be a little bit careful because sometimes the story is an example and we can enter in and see ourselves in someone and sometimes it's a warning and we can say oh we shouldn't do it like that and sometimes it's a story that's about someone else to come and we can't quite get into that story we're sort of in the background we like to be the main character don't we but sometimes we're in the bible we're in the background and so the question comes well what place do i take in this story of nehemiah how do we enter the story? And I've got a little slide for this one too. Entering the story, just not my notes over. Entering the story, where do we enter this story? Are we in it? How do we see ourselves? And it's entirely appropriate in the first few verses of this book to see ourselves as Nehemiah to put ourselves into his shoes, to wear them. And this is what we can learn as we put ourselves into the shoes of Nehemiah. We find that here is a man who, despite living quite a luxurious life, has been leading himself in faith during the exile. 
He's away from the people of God. He's away from the temple. And yet clearly he is leading himself in faith. There's lesson one entering into the role of Nehemiah. We see that his heart is soft. That's what I was talking about last week. And here's a man who cries when he hears about the state of Jerusalem. His heart is soft for the people of God and for the city of God. He is proactive in his care for the people and the city of God. It's not an afterthought. He asks after how it's going. He cares about it. And we are to be people who care about the well-being of the people of God and of the city of God, the church. Nehemiah is a man who is heartstruck with compassion. And we're to be people whose hearts are filled with compassion for the things that God's heart is filled with compassion for as well. And Nehemiah, when he hears of something that is not as it has been promised to be, is moved to prayer and fasting by the state of the people of God and of the city of God. As we read through this book, we don't see the call of Nehemiah like we do perhaps for many other famous Bible characters. But we do see his response to the call of God. Nehemiah becomes a man sold out for the purposes of God. Nothing will distract him. He becomes a man who is sold out for the people of God and for the city of God. He's willing to leave behind his comfortable life. I'm spoiling the next bit of the story in the winter resort of the Persian king, living in the palace and eating the king's food. He's willing to throw it away for the sake of God's purposes. And I do truly believe that as we go through this series, many of us will be called by God. And our hearts filled with compassion for the well-being of his people for his city and for his purposes on the face of the earth. Many of us will find ourselves <laughs> mourning for what we see that isn't as it should be. Some of us, for the first time in our lives, are going to fast and pray because it cuts us so deeply to the heart that we refuse to leave it as it is. Some of us are going to give ourselves to building a community of hope in a wholly new way in this season. And we're going to look at people. We're going to go, wow, what got into them? They are like Nehemiah in their single mindedness for what God is doing. Friends, I truly believe some of us will leave places of comfort to move to broken and ruined and hurting places to see what God might do because of a hope in their heart and a commitment to the kingdom of God, to the city of God, to the people of God. This is a series that is going to be slightly dangerous to tag along with. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come. But I do honestly believe that God has big things in store for us as we read the story of Nehemiah. Now, although it is entirely appropriate to enter the story as Nehemiah in these four verses, we would miss many vital things 
if we read this whole story as if we were Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is also the one who leaves the royal court because his heart is full of compassion. Nehemiah is also the one who is sent from the right hand of the king with the favour of the king. See where I'm going? Nehemiah is also the one who goes from the place of royalty to the broken and hurting city. Nehemiah is the one who goes there to do for them what they could not do for themselves. They've been there a long time and they haven't managed it. They can't do it. They need another. Nehemiah is the one who is despised and insulted and threatened by the world around Jerusalem. Nehemiah is the one who is betrayed by the people he came to help. Nehemiah is the one who gives his all to make the people of God pure and holy. Nehemiah is the one you'll see at the end of the book who points again and again to his own faithfulness before God because everyone else around him is falling short. Friends, if you think you're Nehemiah in bits of this story, you are mistaken. This isn't a story that's only about great feats of human faith for God. This is a story that finds its true end in one who's going to come four and a half centuries later. The one who's truly going to usher in the great and glorious day of the Lord. The one who's going to build a building and rebuild a city that will have the world in awe so that people of every nation will come to it. Nehemiah is not just a story about people getting busy and doing some stuff. It's a story about God intervening into the middle of a story of desperation with great hope. Friends, Nehemiah ultimately points us to Jesus, who sees the brokenness of the world and weeps. Who refuses to turn a blind eye. Who refuses to remain in the comfort of heaven, but comes to rebuild the true city of God, the church. Who comes for the sake of the people of God, so that they would never be left in ruins again so that they would actually be made pure jesus will manage what nehemiah fails to do which is to make the people of god pure and glorious so that the whole world looks and stares in awe and people of every nation run to the city of god the church friends of course of course we are called to build a community of hope. And Nehemiah has much to teach us. I hope I've whet your appetite this morning. I hope tomorrow morning you're going to open the book and read it through. But friends, we can only be called to build a community of hope. We can only be effective in the things that God has called us to do because another has already laid the cornerstone that all of our efforts are lined up against. Another has already bought the blueprint from the throne room of God into the city of God. Another has already won the allegiance of the people, their full devotion. We can only set our sights on building a community of hope 
because of Jesus. Only Jesus. He is the one that Nehemiah is pointing to. He is the one that this whole story finds its true ending. There are moments where we can put ourselves in Nehemiah's shoes. But for the most part, friends, we're the citizens of the city that was ruined, that needed someone else to come and help us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We're the ones in desperate need of help. And help came. And hope was built. And the world has never been, nor will ever be the same. This is an incredible story of building a community of hope. I'm going to pray for us in a minute. But before I do, we are going to go into our Sunday communities for the first time. And excuse me. In those communities, we are going to pray. Can you see that all right? Or do you need it bigger? Those of you on phones are currently going, I can't see that. Those of you on big TVs like, yeah, I can see that. We'll make it bigger. Sunday communities, friends, this is what we're going to do for the first time in our rooms together. We are going to pray. Nehemiah, you're going to find out next week, he doesn't just fast and mourn and pray. No, he prays big, expansive prayers to the God who is able. And so in a moment when you're automatically sent off to your Sunday communities, I want you to cut loose. I want you to pray for the people, the cities, the areas, the things, the ruins that God has filled your heart with compassion for. There might be a moment for God, this is what I'm going to pray for. But what I want to hear is prayer. Because prayer shifts things. You're going to see that again and again in Nehemiah. He's a man who believes passionately in the power of prayer. The community of hope is only built because of the prayer that goes in before. So as we go in to our communities in a moment, friends, let's pray. Let's pray because no community of hope can ever be built that isn't first taken to God in prayer. No community of hope can ever be built apart from that which is birthed out of Holy Spirit given compassion for God's purposes and people, city and kingdom upon the face of the earth. So in a couple of minutes after I've prayed and Pete sends you out, this is what we're going to do. We are going to pray for the people, the cities, the areas, the things, the places, the issues, the ruins that our hearts have been filled with compassion for. And friends, let me encourage you, pray your heart out. Pray your socks off. Don't hold back. This is not a moment for dignified, quiet, half-hearted prayer. Allow your heart to be gripped with the promise, just like Nehemiah's was. That meant he left everything to go back to Jerusalem. The promise that God is building something glorious and every corner of the earth will be touched by it because he's blessing a people that they might be a blessing to every nation on the face of the earth. Let me pray and then Pete will end and we'll go to Sunday communities. Father, we are so thankful for your word that shows us great heroes of the faith like Nehemiah. We're so thankful that we have so much that we may learn from them, people who have been there and have 
done the stuff before. And Father, even more than that, we are so thankful that they all point to Jesus. They point to one who is so much greater, who does for us what we could never do for ourselves and whose heart was filled with a compassion that we can only dream of. And so, Father, we're asking now, would you come and would you move hearts just like you moved Nehemiah's in the verses we read today? We're praying, would you convict people? Would you compel people? Would you move people to pray and to love like you love your people? We're praying, would you move people to care about the things of the earth that you're working upon, just as Nehemiah did in the story we touched this morning? God, we want to be those people with soft hearts, hearts that are open to the prompting and the leading of God. And we want to be those who see a community of hope built on the face of the earth that touches absolutely everything. For your fame and for your glory. Amen.